There was a famous commercial <clears throat> a few years ago that you probably remember. It got pretty annoying after a while. Energizer batteries, they keep going and going and going. And there was this pink little bunny beating a drum, and you thought it was cute in the beginning, and then you couldn't take it anymore. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that we have seen in these three chapters of Acts is the faith of these disciples truly has kept going and going and going through all of these difficulties and obstacles that they are facing. And it comes to a a, a pinnacle here in Acts chapter 5. Now, before we look at Acts chapter 5, remember it is in the prior chapter that we saw this uh, Sanhedrin council, these leaders... And they had arrested Peter and John, remember, after the healing of the lame man, and had strictly told them that they were not to preach and proclaim Jesus anymore. Well, they haven't stopped. And that's been part of this unstoppable faith that we have been looking at. And they, as they continue to proclaim, we're seeing multitudes and multitudes more. In fact, that's how our section begins in chapter 5 and in verses 12 through 16. It describes there in verse 12 that the apostles are working miracles. They're the ones that are performing them and is causing everyone to come and listen to what they are saying. And yet there seems to be a, a healthy respect because they're recognizing their authority. It says no one dared to join with them, understanding they're clearly God's representatives. They have been designated by God and the task that has been given to them is to proclaim Jesus and people are listening to that message because the miracles are proving that they have been sent from God. And one of the things that is interesting is as the book of Acts unfolds, it has told us about these numbers who are becoming believers that we had back in Acts chapter 2. There were 3,000 and then we saw 5,000. And I want you to notice here that we're just told in, in verse 14 that more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of men and women. And the reason why that's important is because you are seeing the fulfillment of God's promises. That God had told Abraham as well as the other forefathers that God was going to multiply Abraham's offspring to the point that they could not be numbered for multitude. And it is great to see that you come into Acts and by chapter 5 it just says, can't number them. It's a multitude that is too large. And so you notice that it is men and women who are coming for salvation. Men and women who are the ones who are listening to the message of the apostles, hearing what they have to say, responding in faith. And so you see, I think, that important picture given to the point that something amazing is even happening as the people are gathering and listening to the apostles. You'll notice in verses 15 and 16, we are told that the the power of the apostles is so dramatic that people are carrying those who are sick and placing them in the street, hoping that even the shadow of Peter might fall on them. That's dramatic. That's amazing. 
That's some serious power on display. And you are getting again the picture of these apostles being Jesus' representatives and showing the same kind of power that Jesus is able to show in in healing. And so you'll notice in verse 16 that people are gathering from the surrounding towns and all coming to Jerusalem. They're bringing the sick, they're bringing the afflicted to those who have unclean spirits, and they are all being healed by the apostles. This is a dramatic picture of what the the hope of God had given to Israel that the God was going to heal his nation, heal people. And this was ultimately a picture of the healing that would be given to the spiritually sick. That all could come and they could receive this healing. And here's the apostles proclaiming that message. And people are coming. And you can just imagine the multitudes in Jerusalem. And imagine as they're trying to proclaim this. And you just have thousands upon thousands of people every day coming and listening. Well, that's what ultimately sets up the problem is that we are told in verse 17, the high priests and these religious leaders and those of the Sadducees, they're not happy with this. <laughs> they're not pleased by this. They had told Peter and John that they needed to stop. And you notice verse 17 says something very interesting, that they are going to arrest the apostles and put them in prison because of jealousy. And this is such an interesting Uh, motivation that's being revealed to us it's not that they are you know upset it's that we're jealous you're taking our power away multitudes are listening to the apostles and not these religious leaders anymore they see the power being taken out of their hands and they're jealous of how everybody in jerusalem and the surrounding towns are not coming to them to listen but to the apostles And so we are told that they are thrown into prison in verse 18. Love the picture in verse 19. In the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord comes and sets them free. But notice what he tells them. In verse 20, he tells them, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This is important that the apostles are not set free so that they can just go home. They're not set free so they can hide. They're not set free so they can run away. They're set free and God says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go right back in the very same place where you were arrested. And I want you to keep proclaiming. Don't stop telling people these wonderful words about this life. Go right back into the temple courts and don't stop proclaiming it. Now, here's God showing humor. So they're set free in the middle of the night. And I want you to notice they don't wait around. Verse 21, the apostles at daybreak, sun barely getting up, they're right back in the temple courts proclaiming. The Sanhedrin didn't know that. And so they're beginning to gather together and get the trial ready. And they tell the, the, the guards, I want you to go and get the apostles out of the, their prison and bring them to this, this trial. And we're told here in, in verse 22, when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. 
But when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> so go get those apostles. We're going to have this trial. Officers go find them. The, you can imagine the guards are there. Everything's been fine. Yeah, everything's been, been a quiet night. Nothing's happened. All right, let's go in there and get them. There's nobody in there. The, the prison is secure. The guards are standing there. And amazingly, a miracle as God has taken these apostles and taken them out of the prison and nobody knew it. And no sooner are they figuring this out. Verse 24, the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words and they were greatly perplexed. Wouldn't you be? (laughs) We put them in the prison and it's still being guarded and it was shut and locked and they're not in there. They're trying to figure out what this means. The end of verse 24, what would come of this? Verse 25, someone comes running and look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. <laughs> they're preparing for trial and they're already right back out there proclaiming at daybreak and somebody comes running. I know where they are. <laughs> They're right back where they were yesterday when you arrested them. (laughs) They're right back in the temple courts proclaiming to all the people again. You can imagine that went over really well as they were told not to do that. And so you notice then what happens in verse 27. Well, actually, verse 26, the captain and the officers went and brought them. But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they get arrested again. But I want you to notice they can't use any force because they've gained such favor with the people. We've got multitudes that are gathering to listen to the apostles. And I try to visualize what this looked like. They couldn't do it by force. So they must have just walked up to the apostles and said, uh, would you please come with us? <laughs> uh, you have a trial that's on the books and uh, you need to come along with us, please. We can't do it by force. We're going to up, have an uproar in the crowd. We're just gonna, things are going to explode if we do that. So they just walk up to the apostles. You just, you know, we, we need to come with us. And I just find it fascinating. They go with them. They, okay. They don't don't resist arrest. They don't resist the authorities. They just go with them. And notice then how that all plays out. They go in there and set them before the council. Verse 27, the high priest is questioning them. Remember, this is the Sanhedrin that had Jesus put to death by the hands of the Romans. So this is not some small trial. And so when the high priest says in verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Uh, That's quite a statement. Quite a statement. And I think it's interesting, again, you don't see the apostles rebelling and saying, you know, you guys are useless. You don't have authority over us. We hate you guys and all of that. That's not what happens. I want you to see that what the apostles are doing is simply doing what God says and going along with the authorities unless it directly contradicted what God told them to do. I think it's amazing to see that. They are doing exactly what the scriptures say over and over again. They are respecting and obeying the authorities until it came and they said, don't preach Jesus. They said, well, we can't do that. 
And so they're back out there preaching Jesus and the Sanhedrin, the high priest says, didn't we tell you not to do that? Didn't we specifically say you are not to proclaim Jesus? And then they go a little bit further. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. What a thought. Filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You might remember when we had before Pilate, Jesus and Barabbas. Pilate is intending to release Jesus. It is the religious leaders who drum up the crowd and say, not Barabbas, Jesus. What do you want me to do with him? Crucify him. Why? He's done nothing wrong. And they shouted all the more, crucify him. And remember, Pilate then washes his hands and says, his blood be on you. And here, the high priest says, what are you doing? Trying to put his blood on us? Yeah, (laughs) you've accepted that. You accepted that. In fact, that's essentially what they say. Twofold answer. Verse 29. Number one, we must obey God rather than people. You tell us not to preach Jesus. That's not going to happen. We have to worship Jesus. We have to proclaim Jesus. And then verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Number one, your law is against what God says. So we can't do that. We must obey God, not people. Number two, God has raised up the one you killed. You're trying to put his blood on us. Well, that is what happened. <laughs> uh, that is what you did. I mean, he's just giving it to him straightforward. You killed him. God raised him up. How do you think the Sanhedrin's going to feel about that? Verse 33. Very important line. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That's how it went with Jesus. By the way, think ahead a little bit. That's how it will go for Stephen. They have absolutely the power to do this. This is not we're mad and like by metaphor, oh, I could kill you. No, they mean it. The apostles' days look numbered now. They are enraged and want to kill them. However, something fascinating happens. The hand of God here. Verse 34 tells us about a Pharisee named Gamaliel who is highly honored by the people, a teacher of the law. He's recorded in history outside of biblical sources of how revered and respected he was. 
uh, within the, the Jewish nation. And so he carries a ton of weight. Everybody listens to him. And he gives a very simple teaching, a very simple counsel to them. Verse 35, take care what you are about to do to these men. What do you think they're about to do? What's on the table here? We're going to kill these guys. And I want you to see that's what ultimately this advice and discussion is about. Because the reminders are, remember how there have been two other false guys who came along. In verse 36, he reminds reminds them of a man named Thudius who rose up claiming to be somebody. He had a bunch of men join him, about 400. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. I slowed down over that because I thought, did the Sanhedrin kill him? I'm curious. Here's this guy who came along and he tried to rise up a band of people and he was killed. And now nothing came of the movement. And he gives another example in verse 37. Judas the Galilean, he arose during the census. He drew some people after him. He too was killed destroyed and it says nothing came of that group as well verse 37 all who followed him were scattered i want you to hear the implication and we got jesus killed so two possibilities it's going to come to nothing just like the others The other guys were taken care of and their followers immediately disbanded and nothing came of the movement. So these guys, if it's not from God, it's going to do the exact same thing. It's going to evaporate. Nothing's going to come across from this. Or if it's from God, it will be unstoppable. You will not be able to overthrow it. Which, you know, if we had time and just for fun... If you want an apologetic for faith, 2,000 years later, this thing's still going, tells you something. That this is from God. This is not from people. Because if it was from people, it would have vanished and disappeared. Think about how many times in history that happens where people come along claiming to be something, gather a whole pile of people and followers, the leader dies, there it goes. Even in our own lifetimes, that's happened a number of times. number of times. People claiming to be religious leaders, being somebody. Nothing happens. But here's ultimately where I want to take us with where this is going. Because this is ultimately leading to something very important. We see in verse 40, it's, well at the end of verse 39, they take his advice and when they called in the apostles... They flogged them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That's a, a, a sentence that may not resonate, so let it resonate. This authority, this governing authority, the Sanhedrin, who has the power to get these 12 apostles killed, and we're just about to do it, listen to Gamaliel, 
flog the apostles and tell them, stop talking about Jesus. What would you do? What would you do? Your governing authority says, stop preaching Jesus. Stop talking about it. Stop worshiping him. And they even punish them by beating them, flogging them. They've got the marks now. And you know that they have the every intent and desire to have you killed. What are you going to do? Listen to what the text tells us. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I want you to think about what they do. Number one, they rejoiced. Wow. (laughs) You've just been flogged. Your life has been threatened. And you've been told to stop doing the thing that God has told you to do. And they're rejoicing over it. Would you please be amazed by that? They're like, hey, all right. They're not complaining. They're not like, oh man, where is God? How could this be right? This They're rejoicing. And notice the next thing it says in verse 42. It says, every day they hid in their homes and never went out again because they were afraid of what might happen to them because you don't want to upset the government. Every day, right back where they were the day before. Notice they don't change venues in the temple courts again. It's not like this is going to be hard to be finding them. They walk right back out in the temple courts again, and they do it from house to house. They are spreading the message. And I want you to think about this for a minute. How are they able to do that? You know, everything within us physically would probably be rising up within us and saying, don't do this, your life is on the line. This is dangerous. This is nuts. My, my body has uh, got the marks and the wounds from what has happened. They're going to kill us. Certainly, God doesn't want us to die. Certainly, He doesn't want me to be flogged. So, so how do they have this unstoppable faith that even in the face of being flogged and threatened to die, which the Sanhedrin has the ability to do, and told, oh, here's all you need to do to avoid punishment. Stop telling people about Jesus. How are they able to go right back into the temple courts and tell it to everybody from house to house? That, I think, is the whole point of this text. How are they able to do that? And I want you to notice verse 41, I believe, gives us the answer to this. 
It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. It's an easy sentence to pass over, but it is everything to having unstoppable faith. Their perspective here is so important. Think about how did they look at their service to Jesus. Think about how they are looking at what they have just experienced. Think about their perspective of this suffering. Because to me, this is everything of what it's going to take to have unstoppable faith. They looked at it as Jesus has suffered for me. And I am honored to suffer for him. That's their perspective. Think about the words. They were counting it worthy. They counted it as worthy to suffer. Worthy to take this dishonor. Worthy to experience the pain and the shame and the suffering. That's how they're looking at this and saying, we will look at this as an honor. We look at it as being worthy of this, that God had given them this honor. I want you to think about in our Sunday morning Bible class a couple of weeks ago, we noted that the Apostle Paul said something very similar where he says there in talking to the Philippian Christians who they are suffering for the cause of Christ. And he says, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. See the perspective? I don't know that we look at suffering for the cause of Christ and go, God has granted me the privilege. But that is what the apostles think. That God had granted them the privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. That they looked at it as ultimately a gift. And what they are declaring is that they desire Jesus more than comfort. They desire Jesus more than avoiding suffering. They desire Jesus so much that they wanted the chance to show their loyalty to Jesus. That's what's happening right here. Here is our chance to show how much we love the Lord. Here is our chance to show that we desire God above all else. And this is the essence of having an unstoppable faith is seen that we're not going to fear resistance and dishonor or shame or anything like that because we want to show our love and devotion to Christ. We want Him to see That this is our desire that you suffered for me. And if I need to suffer a little for you, then I will count that as a gift. I will count it as a joy. I will count it as a blessing. I will count it as something worthy of honor. And I think that's such an important picture for us. And I think it is also worth considering. It's not that the apostles looked for trouble. 
You know, they didn't go out of their way and say, you know, I just want to cause a ruckus around here. <laughs> Let's just stir things up. They're just standing in the court's teaching. They're just doing what God had told them to do. They're not looking for trouble. They're not creating trouble. But they look at any opposition to doing the will of God as an opportunity to suffer for Jesus. That is the perspective we need to have, is that this is an opportunity to suffer for the cause of Christ. We want Him to see that we desire Him even more than life itself. We want Him to see that we consider the sacrifice of Jesus as worthy of being disgraced, dishonored, rejected, or even being killed. And I hope that as we think about what this would look like in our lives, is that it would change us for having an unstoppable faith that we would be willing to step into a difficulty, to step into suffering, not because we want suffering, not because we're creating a problem, not because we want difficulty, but that we understand that when it comes to the mission of proclaiming Jesus, there's going to be resistance. There's just going to be resistance. The book of Acts has laid that out for three chapters. And what we're doing in Esther, we're going to see the exact same thing. We've been talking about this. That there is always going to be resistance for doing what is right. The apostles are not looking for trouble. They're not trying to cause trouble. They're just proclaiming Jesus. But proclaiming Jesus means be ready for the consequences of serving him. To be ready for what negative outcome may happen. Because we have faith in Jesus and because we're sharing our faith to other people. And finally, to say it like this, our faith can keep going and going and going when we're willing to embrace the struggle as being counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That we would look at this as, this is my chance to show the Lord how much I love him. This is my chance to show how much I appreciate what he has done for me. And if I get in trouble for doing good, if I get in trouble for serving Jesus, then I will rejoice that I can suffer just a little, just a little for Christ. That's the perspective they have. I had this really unexpected weird thing happen to me in college. One of the things that I had to take at uh, university was uh, like a public speaking kind of course to get your bachelor's. And I've told you over and over again the fear and trembling that I experienced from ever doing anything in front of people. And there was no way to write a 20-page paper to get out of this one. You had to deliver a persuasive speech, five-minute persuasive speech. Now now I could do that, you know, blindfolded. But then, holy cow, five-minute persuasive speech. 
And people were doing all kinds of persuasive speeches, all kinds of worldly things, how to have safe sex, things like that. And so I decided, crazily enough, thinking this wouldn't get me in any trouble whatsoever, I will do a persuasive speech on salvation. I will just kind of lay out what the Bible says on how to be saved. I just did my five-minute speech on that. The professor the next day pulled me in and said, I'm going to have to give you a zero on that. And my whole grade hung on that. That was pulling me all the way down to not passing the class. I'm going to have to give you a zero on that. And I said, what? She said, everything about it was fine, but (laughs) you talked about God. I have to give you a zero. I said, they were talking about all kinds of things. (laughs) Well, they are a captive audience. And they were forced to listen to that. The funny thing is, the students in the class were supporting me, going, that's not right. (laughs) I was surprised by that. And after fighting and fighting and fighting, she, instead of making a dead zero, made it like a 50 so that I could at least pass the class rather than just flunking the class with the zero. And as much as that gave me a heart attack, I tell this story to share with you this, not because it's anything about courage, But because there is truth to the matter of what verse 41 is saying. Is that there is something to be said for being able to enjoy the fact that even if you suffer just a little for the cause of Christ. That that is a wonderful thing. Because it's a chance for you to tell God. I care about you so much. And I love you so much that it doesn't matter what people do to me. I have to keep serving and I have to keep talking. That's how you have unstoppable faith. They saw this flogging and they saw the threats as an opportunity. And I pray that we would look at any opportunity as our opportunity to rise up and tell people about Jesus and do what is right. Even though there are going to be consequences for you to do what is right and to live your life as a Christian, there will be consequences. There will be consequences at work. There will be consequences in school. There will be consequences in your neighborhood. You will have consequences for doing what God has told you to do. Consider being worthy of those consequences. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for the courage that we see these apostles having that in the face of danger, in the face of threats, in the face of death, in the face of arrest, imprisonment, and flogging, that they saw that you were more precious than anything. God, give us that courage and give us that love for you. And help us to see the opportunities that are before us so that we would live our lives and open our mouths that reflect you 
in everything we say and do. That we would always do what is right, even if there are consequences. That we would always say what is right, even if there are consequences. And give us the courage to tell the world about Jesus in a world that is telling us to be quiet. Lord, give us that strength. Give us unstoppable faith. Give us the boldness that we need to do that. And Lord, give us a people that will respond to your good news. Lord, we know that you want all people to be saved. You want everybody to hear the message and turn to you. We pray that we could be your instruments to do it. And so give us opportunities, Lord, to shine our light. Help us to live our lives in a way that shows that we are willing to suffer because you suffered for us. In Jesus' name, amen.